Welcome to Functional Medicine Bite Sized, the podcast where Pete chats to experts in the field of functional medicine and health, giving you, the listener, pearls of wisdom to apply on a daily basis. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this episode of uh, Functional Medicine Bite Sized. Great um, podcast today because, again, I'm going to be interviewing and pushing one of my old muckers, um, Sarah Sharp. Now, just let me give you a little bit of background on, on Sarah. Sarah is one of the senior um, nutritional um, therapists at Nutri Advanced. And just, just a brief on Nutri Advanced. They've been around for 40 years. So this is a, a nutraceutical uh, company um, in the UK that have just had a wealth of experience and Sarah and you know I mean me and Sarah go back a long way don't we we go back at least (laughs) we were just having a chat before it's been at least 15 years that we've been almost working together we talked about that time that we stood in front of all those personal trainers 15 years ago on a on a winter's day my son Tom he was only a baby at the time wasn't he so we go back a while don't we and I think I think the key for this is that you know, um, we're sort of getting a bit older now and you've been in the purely in the nutrition area for over 20 years. So you've got this real wealth and depth of experience on nutrition, which is why we're having a conversation today, because the conversation today is really just around the fundamentals around vitamin D. But also I sort of just I, I want to sort of utilize that with regards to where we are with going into the winter with COVID and with flu um, and, and sort of um, extrapolate into that. So welcome. Thanks for uh, for coming on board. As you say, it's been a while since we've uh, done something together, isn't it? So uh, I'm chuffed that you're on. So so look, sir, I, again, I, I don't want to overcomplicate um, things here, but I think the, how the world understands vitamin D, we used to think it was just for bones, but we're certainly learning that that's absolutely not the case at all. So, so why don't you just give us the expanded view, if you like, of uh, where, where we are with vitamin D, why is it so important, and um, why are we so deficient as well? I think that's a, a really good thing to start with. So all yours. Yeah, so so that's uh, you know, firstly, thanks for the the intro. Um, yes, it, it's vitamin D is such a huge, huge area, and there are so many different research papers and things like that um, that are all you know coming out, and especially with um, you know the immune factors at the moment, we're seeing sure. so much um, explosion of interest in vitamin D. But the origin of sort of like getting into understanding vitamin D, like you say, is from bones. So the research behind understanding it prevented rickets back in the day. So with vitamin D, its primary function is to help us to absorb calcium from the diet. So that's its its number one kind of function. Uh, And then once it's in the body, we need other things to help us use it, um, uh, use that calcium. So that's really where the history of of understanding that vitamin D is important for our bones came from. Um, However, now we're really exploring vitamin D in a new way and looking at how it, it, it 
gets right into every single cell. It unlocks the potential in our DNA and it, it plays a role in so many different aspects of human health. Um, but like you say, uh, one of the problems is that we, are, as a nation, we are quite deficient in vitamin D. We just don't seem to get the same, you know, levels that we used to have. Um, and that's for a huge number of reasons, really. So the ways that we can get vitamin D is we can get it from our diets, but not a great amount. You know, if we look at how much uh, vitamin D we get, you know, wild salmon is the is a high source. You know, you get some from eggs, but it's it's really you know you have to be eating a huge huge amount, like an unreasonable amount of those things to and to achieve to be, a good level. To be realistic, it's it's pretty impossible to do, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, so... I, I know it, in theory you can, but as you say, I can talk about in clinic. It it, it definitely seems an impossibility. To yeah, do. so it does. It's not for no reason that that we know vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin. Um, because it is produced when we are exposed to the sunshine and we produce it in the layers of our skin. And that's how we get the, the highest amount of vitamin D is through sun exposure. But you know, these days, everybody's a little bit afraid of skin cancer. Um, so we use a lot of sunscreens, we cover up, we just don't get the exposure. I don't know about you, Pete, but I'm in Manchester. And it's, you know, even on the days when technically, I should be able to get good sunshine, because the sun is overhead, it's strong, it's the summertime, then quite often, it's cloudy and raining. <laughs> so, so it's, quite difficult for me to achieve a full exposure of vitamin D. Even if, if the sun's out, I, I can struggle sometimes. So there are other factors as well. So there's lots of reasons why people may be deficient. It can be things like, as I said, limited time outside, limited exposure to, to actual sunshine, even when you're outside, covering up whilst you're outside. And then a certain category of the population who actually have a higher risk of being deficient. So can we go on to this? I think this is quite an important bit because, again, not only are we talking different races, but we're also talking the difference between people who are lean as opposed to people who are overweight or obese. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, it's a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning that it's absorbed into our fat cells. If you're underweight, you don't have carry a lot of fat, then it can be difficult to get enough vitamin D uh, or to hold enough vitamin D. But likewise, if you have a large amount of fat cells, then it will be stored in those fat cells as well so it sort of acts as a sponge for the vitamin d so people who are overweight or obese actually need two or three times the normal daily amount wow, of vitamin okay. d to, to actually achieve the same blood levels i mean the word that they seem to use in literature is sequestered and, and i suppose what it, what they're almost saying is that it sort of gets stuck doesn't it i think that is that the way to describe it yeah. And also, if you think about the, you know, we need it in every single cell, including those fat cells. So if you just have a larger amount of those cells, then, um, you, you know, you're going to have a higher requirement for vitamin D as well. So on the whole, that's that's another reason why um, somebody may have a deficiency or have a higher requirement. I don't know about you, Pete. When I look at people's nutritional status, when we're considering supplementation, there's two different ways that you can use a supplement and I always find this quite fascinating one of them is that you give a supplement to get a direct effect and this tends to be more like your herbs and things like that if somebody has a particular condition say you got a cold right now and you wanted to take some vitamin c that would have a higher amount and you'd, you'd get a direct effect the other way that you can take supplements is to correct nutritional deficiencies and I think this is something I mean it's probably 
and we'll get into this a bit more later, but it's just raising those levels back to normal function. So it's all about just achieving normal function within the cells. And vitamin D deficiency is so widespread that people's cells just aren't functioning properly. And that affects, again, so, you know, I keep saying it, but it's so many different areas of health are affected, including bones. But it could be immune system, it could be inflammation, it could, you know, there's just lots and lots of different things that it actually impacts so i think this is what we've learned isn't it and i think this is almost like conventional thinking moving to systems thinking because i think what the evidence has shown us is that vitamin d is not just about bones we're actually found that there seems to be a receptor in every single cell of our body for vitamin d and i think that for me is the wow point it's like holy cow so that means is that every single cell in our body if we're deficient in vitamin d maybe isn't going to be perform as optimally as it should do yeah so it's it's basically we make it in the skin then we use a protein to transport it around to all the different cells and then it's actually attached in the cell to the vitamin d receptor we need things like magnesium we need vitamin a we need zinc ensure that that absolutely works 100%. Um, And these are all things that we may not be getting enough of in our diets and, you know, getting enough sun exposure to have adequate vitamin D levels. And then that can unlock the potential within the cell and actually have then good quality. And I think what the research has shown is that the associated issues that people are having from vitamin D deficiency. It's not necessarily that vitamin D is is this sort of snake oil kind of cure-all. It's more that the vitamin D deficiency is affecting us negatively. So we just need to restore our levels and get them to a really good level. So I also think what you bring in is a really key question here or because we'll have many uh, people and many of our patients go, I took I took that vitamin. It didn't it didn't so it, I, I don't feel any better from it. And and I think you're absolutely answering the question there is that for, for many people, unless they are highly, highly deficient, it's unusual for them to see. So, I mean, I can think about, I'm going slightly off subject here, but I can think about um, being deficient in B12. I think being deficient in iron and to some degree being highly deficient in vitamin D you do see the change, you do see the reduction in symptoms over time. But it's unusual that you're going to give someone a supplement and suddenly they're going to, you know, all the diseases have been sorted and all their symptoms are going down. I think that's a key understanding, I think, for patients to understand is that has that vitamin worked? Well, here's where your level was when we started and here's where your level is now. What we've been giving you has absolutely hit the mark. It may not you know, fundamentally solve what you think it's going to solve, but it's done its job on that side. Absolutely. And I think that nutrition is one of those fields of of study where actually what we're doing is we want to level the playing field. We want to give everyone a fair start. So if you're raising people's vitamin D to a normal level, then we need to be looking at the other things that they might be missing as well. So it's just about ticking off, right, your vitamin D, we've got that good level. That's not going to cause you an issue. Let's look at what else we might be needing to find to, to raise you to that good starting point um so there may be multiple deficiencies or not necessarily 
deficiencies. Sometimes it's inadequacies or higher requirements. And then we want looking to just try and balance those out. But vitamin D is usually one of the first ones that we go for because it is so widespread. You know, you get people going to the doctor and having tests done and showing that their levels are just through the floor. And again, that can be some of the, the, the groups that we highlighted, but particularly in black, Asian minority and ethnic groups where the, the skin acts as the melanin pigment in the skin is actually acting as a barrier to the sun's rays. So people who are um, in the BAME community need to spend longer getting a sun exposure to achieve the same vitamin D levels as, as white counterparts. Um, so that's just, that's just one thing to bear in mind as well. It is. And I think to be clear on that is that if we still, um, you know, the, the evidence suggests evolutionary that we've, we've all come from South Africa. So what has happened over time, isn't it, is white skin and particularly ginger, hair and white skin are genetic mutations as civilizations and peoples have moved to more northern climate because you're not going to get as much sun. So you need a skin that is going to capture more sun. Uh, and it's really relevant, isn't it? Is, is the BAM group is really relevant from a point of view of going into the winter and particularly with COVID because obviously the most at-risk group is the BAM group and when, yeah. we're, when we're talking about COVID and vitamin D plays a huge part of that. Can you, can you just talk briefly with regards to disease risk and latitude because we know and vitamin d we know has a big component with that particularly with autoimmunity which is sort of discovered about 30 years ago yeah so it's really interesting i'm a bit of a geek about maps that represent sort of like health across the world um and autoimmunity and vitamin d exposure or latitude you know so the strength of the sunlight that we're getting as we move further away from the equator then we get a less strong sunlight and i suppose this time of year we're starting to see our shadows drawing out so a good measure is if you're standing in the midday sun and your shadow is longer than your than you are tall so it's longer than the height of you then you're not going to be getting good exposure um you know the sun the, the latitude is just you know the sun's angle and things like that i'm not a physicist so so I, i'm not great at describing that but it generally means that the sun's not strong enough if your shadow is longer than you are tall uh, and that's as we move away from the equator and uh, you know as the seasons change and the, the position of the, the earth to the sun changes the sun is less strong we just get less exposure you need to be out in you know sunlight you need to be exposing about a quarter of your body so like arms and legs if you're you know shorts and a t-shirt type thing would give you good exposure you know between the hours of 11 in the morning and one o'clock is usually when the sun's strongest obviously we need to be careful of overexposure and sunburn but you know you can sort of tell I've got very pale skin and I do you know if I'm not careful I do burn very easily but I can feel the pinkness in my skin after about five minutes of, of sun exposure and that's my vitamin d and then i put my sunscreen on so um so i catch it very easily which is great for my vitamin d but other people need to sort of like you can often find your own level of of that kind of um exposure but yeah definitely if you plot the lines those who are closest to the equator have by far less autoimmune conditions and as you move away to say like northern europe where the sun exposure is is much much less then we start to see um increases in autoimmunity and other illnesses associated with low vitamin d interesting i mean what is the science telling you i mean i i think well i'm sort of uh 
I sort of know what the science tells us, but it'd be great to get a deeper understanding is that we do seem to see that vitamin D pretty much has some degree of, and I'll be careful what we do because I think there's a, there's always this argument about association isn't causality or isn't direct mechanism. And what we're saying on that is that, let me give you an example. Vitamin D isn't going to mean that you're not going to get COVID. And so yes. there's an example. But what we're saying is that vitamin D, and we're going to talk, is highly associated with less risk. Yeah, um, and that there is so much research at the moment, particularly like you say. Um, so we could take COVID. There is good research looking at the blood levels of vitamin D in those who have had COVID and looking at how, how strong the case of COVID was, um, how, you know, how many symptoms they had. And it matches what they've done in the past with things like pneumonia, colds and flu, all of these things. The lower your vitamin D level, the worse the symptoms generally. So you can plot this time and time again, um, showing that, that your duration of your illness is generally longer and the severity is generally worse if your vitamin D levels are low. It's not the case that just by magically taking vitamin D, it's going to prevent you from getting it. Like you say, it's not something that's going to be a cure-all and, and I'm just going to take my vitamin D and I don't need to worry about COVID, but it will certainly help you. You know, like you, the research would be on your side then, you know, you'd be setting yourself um, and, and, up and for so, the best. So that's leading us into moving into the winter in the conversation around, and, and I'm not going to just say COVID because of course, what we're looking at is flu viruses and and colds in general, you know, the upper respiratory tract infections that I'm going to um, I'm going to get you to pull out on some of the research. So I sort of want us to move into the reason probably why we're on this podcast today. And that really is because I've just watched, uh, you know, obviously I'm keeping up with the COVID um, research and I've just watched the Institute for Functional Medicine who are doing a, a have consistently done an, an, an incredible job of, and I had Pat Hannaway on a couple of weeks ago who was talking about COVID um, and they've done a brilliant job keeping up with the data. And I think they do a brilliant job of lack of bias, you know, should you or shouldn't you? They're just presenting the facts as we know. And Dr. Joe Pisano had a brilliant line right at the beginning of their recent updates. And he said, vaccinated or not, you have to increasingly look after yourself better than you were before because no one's talking about, and I think this is the... I think this is the annoying thing, I think, about where we're at, I suppose, from a government in the UK. It's it's all about the vaccination. And I get that. And I get it. And again, whether you're vaccinated or not, that's not what we're going to talk about. But there's nothing about actually looking after yourself there was lots of these messages last year about think about your weight i think about the you know certainly the more at risk groups like the bammy groups of course you know more overweight darker skin so we're nearly not getting any help here and what i think what i want to do from this is that the reason i wanted to talk about vitamin d and get your expertise is because it's pennies a week as far as an intervention and it's just got such significant science behind it. You know, it's a win-win on every single thing that is so incredibly easy to do and easy to implement. So let's move on to, as you say, what we've learned with vitamin D. And, and not just with COVID, but with upper respiratory tract infections and with the flu. Because obviously what we're hoping is not going to happen is we're going to have a double whammy effect, is that we're going to have a big flu issue and we're going to have covid and if you're having flu and you've got covid at the same time 
that's going to be pretty nasty on anyone's sort of day-to-day basis. So just where are we with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, I've got small children as well who are school age. We've just been through um, a cold that's been picked up. I think people haven't been mingling. So it's like you say, it's not just about the vaccine and whether you've had it or not and getting COVID. It's about all the other things that are around at the moment as well. So vitamin D has been shown to help with um, colds and flu and other infections by just, it forms a big part of our immune system. How we actually mount an immune response. Essentially, a lot of our immune system is causing inflammation to then get rid of the the virus or the um, infection or the bacteria. So the vitamin D can help us with that as well. So it's it's really about ensuring that the best, you know, it's certainly something I've given my kids vitamin D top-ups. We've not seen a lot of sun. Like I say, we're in Manchester. So when we actually manage to have some time off to go and spend outside, you know, 90% of the time, it's terrible weather. So, so, you know, I, I top my children up ahead of, you know, the return to school and ahead of the mingling yeah. that they've been doing just to try and give them a fighting chance of fending off some of these colds and just give their immune system a bit of a boost. The research out there, particularly in children, is, you know, like it's a, it's a, a very well-studied area, but in adults too, very large surveys um, that have been done looking at, like I said, reducing that duration of a cold or a flu and also reducing the severity. And I think everybody who's ever had any kind of cold or flu or upper respiratory tract infection would appreciate a reduction in duration and severity. And and that's really what the research is showing us. So I suppose this leads us into thinking about, okay, so we know, again, I think we're both clear that the evidence is is pretty clear that there's a very strong um, association with vitamin D levels and at risk of colds of infections and flus and COVID. And in fact, again, I mean, this is just a hotbed, isn't it, at the moment of research, of actually looking at vitamin D. There's been so much done around COVID. Um, And I'm looking at a paper now that came out really about a month ago. And I just want to read out the title because what we start getting into next and we can get your opinion is, well, how much do I need daily? And is it prudent that I should maybe think about testing? And I think the answer to that for me is absolutely in in a lot of people, if you want us to certainly go higher dose. But this paper is called COVID mortality risk correlates inversely with vitamin D status and the mortality rate close to zero could theoretically be achieved at 50 NGs per um, per milliliter. This paper's a a sort of conclusion of of what we call a systematic review and meta-analysis. So for people who don't understand that, really what these researchers have done is they've got lots and lots of review papers on um, COVID and vitamin D and looked at all of them and come come up with some conclusions of what they're saying. And they've actually suggested that there is a level that we want to try to achieve as we go through the winter. Now, 50 NGs is is an international unit, and that's not what we use in in the UK. So we use nanomoles. So it's usually a conversion of 2.4. So it works out round about a level of the minimum that we're trying to achieve. And this, sir, is what we're using with our patients in in clinic, is that we want them to try and achieve a, a minimum level of 125 nanomoles per litre on testing. So I think there's a conversation, and I know, again, I can be a little bit more pushy on this, and I know you guys can't, but can we talk about the levels that the government are suggesting and what we see in in the literature 
and what would be some sort of real, I suppose, um, moderate conclusions that we can give to people on a, on a sort of day-to-day supplemental need? Yeah, so Public Health England have, act- for a long time, they've said that anyone age four and over should consider supplementation through the winter months. And they recommend 400 international units per day. So that's their their that was their recommendation. Through COVID, they've actually increased that to say that it's not just at risk groups that should consider all year round supplementation. Everybody should consider four hundred international units daily. So that's their level that they recommend. Now it's not a high amount. It's certainly not what. I would take or give my children. And it's not really what the literature suggests as well. Yeah. And I think, again, working with supplements, there's two ways to approach it. So we need a maintenance, we need a daily amount, and we need to correct a deficiency sometimes. So if you've had your levels tested, now um, the chart that you're talking about, so using the nanomoles basis, you know, looking at getting to 125, doctors would consider that if you were over 50, that you were sufficient. But I've heard of people being tested at like, you know, below 10. And that is really, really shocking. And to the point that, you know, they need very high amounts quite quickly, only for a short period, so that it would be a limited period. So I don't think people should take that into their own hands without testing and without repeat testing to see that they've achieved a good level in the blood. But some people will struggle. Some people have a genetic variation on their receptors. Um, that means that they need higher amounts and it can. It means they can struggle even with supplementation at high levels to get their levels so up. If I can but testing, in, yeah, absolutely with testing. There, so one of the things that we've done, and, and I'm going to use me, myself personally, because I'll give you an example. When we had um, lockdown, we had a really great summer, didn't we? So yeah. first lockdown, it was great. And and I've got quite dark skin. So I was brown as a button because I was basically overtraining exercise-wise in the garden for most of the summer. So I couldn't have been more sunshine. And so obviously one of the key things that we do is we test people at certain times of the year because we want to always optimize vitamin D. And even through that summer, I I came off the end of the summer with a vitamin D level of 80 nanomoles which in many people will still and there's many organizations and many vitamin d researchers suggesting that that is not an optimal level and what we've gone on to find with me is not only do i have um genetic polymorphisms on the on the vdr receptor i.e that you know the receptor on every cell that receives the, the active vitamin d i also have polymorphisms on the transporters and the way vitamin D is metabolized through the liver. So I've almost got a triple whammy is that I might be an individual who never ever has the capacity to get to the optimal levels without supplementation. And so these are some of the things that we're finding in certain individuals is I think this is the beauty of having that genomic data is that it gives you how is this individual getting to that point? So so that's just an example of, of me probably never been able to or will will always struggle to get to 125 minimum unless I'm probably quite well supplemented throughout the year yeah so can we just continue to talk about the levels because we we will talk about I mean I think we can talk about the risk of overdosing and I suppose the risk of taking it into your own hands but also how you can take charge here because I think this is the key thing is that it, it number one it's it's an easy thing to manufacture high quality so it's cheap as chips to do with 
such huge returns and it's cheap as chips to test as well. Yeah. So testing is excellent and it's easy and it's convenient if you do the blood finger prick ones that you yeah. can do through the post. Yeah. They're really nice and easy and quick to do. If uh, I hate them. I have to get my husband to, to prick my finger, but um, it, it's, it's so worth it because it's quick and easy and you've got the info then. So then you can go on a, a supplementation. So the government recommendation is 400 international units per day. Now, what we would consider more of an appropriate maintenance is more like 2,000 to 4,000, depending on your individual circumstance. And this is with testing. I wouldn't use really high doses if people weren't testing. If you've got deficiency... I mean, many people would say that Nutri are being very conservative with regards to (laughs) 2,000 to 4,000. Because if I've got an overweight chap who is of Nigerian descent living in a northern climate, you know, there are double, without even knowing the genetic polymorphisms, there may be double or triple or quadruple risk factors that this chap is going to need at least 10,000 international units pretty consistently. So so I know you guys have have been conservative with, with some of your dosaging, but you're also looking at the literature and i think again we're always trying to be let me let me change this is there a significant risk of overdosing on vitamin d it's it it can happen that people get very high levels of vitamin d um toxic levels um you have to really be taking quite a lot for a long time for that that to happen and without testing so you need to test if you're taking high doses i do think it's important to remember that you you generate so you know, a light coloured skin would probably generate about 10,000 international units of vitamin D in strong sunlight in 20 minutes, you know, easily. So our natural production would be at a much higher level than we're actually talking about um, supplementing. So what I would say is, you know, when we when we go to the supplements, we, we supplement with vitamin D3. We use the cholecalciferol, which is the vitamin D3, which is the form that we make in our skin in response to sunlight. Um, So I wouldn't recommend going over 10,000 international units a day unless you're doing testing and you know, you know, my family's from Norway. So in the winter, you get three hours of slight twilight. And just to be be clear, you don't get um, the sun. The sun just isn't strong enough in the winter to give you any vitamin D. No, so, it's not strong know, enough. Even if even if you had a very sunny day yeah. in the middle of winter, you would and not fact, get enough I sun. I can't remember which researcher told me, but he said, come November, you have to go to below Lisbon to yeah. be able to get any vitamin D from the sun from November onwards. And I think it's literally till about, well, probably till about April. Because it's, yeah. it's not so much about... How hot it is is about how high the sun is in the sky, and so the really human, you know, humans in northern climates really don't get any vitamin D. No, you don't get any. So it's really good. We recommend a test twice a year for maintenance, um, generally around September, October, and then again in see how you how you did over the winter. Um, So when you're coming into spring, around that sort of April time, like you mentioned, it's a good time to test again and just see how you survived that winter with with your low vitamin D. So this is exactly what we do with every single patient. When we come to October, October is vitamin D testing time for us. We want to know how were their levels have been through the summer. And then we want to continue to, because it's such an important, because it's not really a, it's not really a vitamin, is it? It's a, it's a pro hormone, if you like. It has hormones. Yeah, structurally, it's very similar to hormones and it acts very similar to hormones in the body. 
Yeah, and and again, speaking to people, it's like imagine that you're always going to be. Def- imagine you were always deficient as a man in testosterone. That's a sort of going to give you an example. It is it's going to be a pretty unhappy <laughs> life. And I think I think we should think about vitamin D in that way. But going back, we have all our patients test in October because we want to optimize or at least put them on a structural program as we go through the winter. And particularly for us, we always see the upper respiratory tract infections, the immune suppression, the the colds and flus as we go past into the new year, particularly January and February. And I firmly believe that a lot of that is related to, and not all, but it's related to how vitamin D is utilized and dropped out the body because we're using it all the time, aren't we? Because vitamin D is, is helping the immune system protect us from the outside world. And of course it runs out and this is why it's so important to stock up. I mean, I know we've all become virologists recently, but I did read something that said that at any one time your body is responding to, you know, eight or nine different viruses. It's just that they don't, you know, our immune system does its job most of the time. So we don't feel it. We don't notice. Um, So we're constantly using that vitamin D for our immune system. So it's important to get it back up. I I would say definitely with the levels, you know, we have resources on our website that can take people through, um, you know, different levels of, we'll link, of what we'll we recommend. That. Yeah. yeah, that we recommend. And we, we go up to about 50,000 using the Michael Hollick uh, research, about 50,000 international units a week uh, yeah. for about eight weeks or repeat again to 16 weeks for people who are very deficient to just try and get a real boost of their levels. So that it's, it's quite high amounts when, you, when you're talking... 400 international units from public health yeah. and then we're talking about 50,000 international units a week then it's, it's quite a dramatic increase so I don't think people should be afraid of those high numbers but I well, think well if I can quote need to do the testing if I can quote so I was actually just watching some literature with regards to warts and one of the ways you can treat warts is you can inject them with very high levels of vitamin d and the levels we're looking at on that and on on those which resolve the warts is, I think it was 2.4 million international units Ooh. of vitamin D on injection. So I think yeah. what we're looking at in the, in the, in the right time, you, you know, vitamin D is going to be relatively safe. Now, let me just confirm on this. I think once we're starting to, I mean, I, I would be happy on anyone being between, uh, again and again, depending on the, uh, you know, an adult 2,000 to 4,000 international units, I think a day would be something that, uh, you know, if people didn't want to test, you would still think, okay, that's probably going to be an okay level as you go through the winter. I think anything probably over that, you might want to think about probably testing. But what I would say on that is that it's so cheap to test. I mean, the testing is what, 30, 35 pounds? I mean, it's such an incredible investment into really helping you to try and protect yourself over, over the winter. Yeah, and it's worth if anyone's got a comorbidity that it's worth, you know, if you have an illness already that you're getting blood tests, blood tests at the GP, show them some research about your diabetes, show them some research about your hypertension being linked with vitamin D and they'll test it for you. Um, they sort of gave up testing though because everybody came out deficient. And I have heard of the doctors giving injections of, of up to like 100,000 international units in one go because with it being fat soluble, you can take a mega dose and just, you know, you will hold on to that. You'll absorb all of it. So, so yeah. Just, just confirm that. I know there are some mega dosing out there and, and there was, I think there was a recent paper that came out of Brazil that looked at mega dosing 
COVID patients in the ITU. Um, and it didn't work very well. But as far as I understand the research, mega dosing in one bolus doesn't tend to work as well as just on a daily dose. That's correct, isn't it, on the research? Daily dose would be better. Uh, we do recommend that you can take a weekly dose of the 50,000 international units. So you can do that. And we have seen really good results with people taking that to then correct a deficiency in a in a sort of relatively quick time frame. So we would recommend that. But I think consistency is key with nutrition. You you want to do something consistently to achieve the best results and to make it part of your habits you know so it's, it's about remembering to take it as well so if you're if you're somebody who's identified as needing a, a vitamin d throughout the winter or throughout the year then you need to make sure that you're going to take it when you remember um so so build it into your a part of your your daily habit and your daily routine so what we can do is that, of course, with me having such a long relationship with you guys, I've actually tapped you up to make sure that um, anyone who's listening to the podcast, you guys are actually going to give an additional um, reduction in cost, aren't you? You're going to give an, an additional 10% reduction to anyone who, I think we've, uh, Sam, one of your sales reps is, is going to create a link for us so anyone can link into this and use some of your products so um, thanks very much for doing that. Um, I know I sort of pushed you into that, but... Uh, but That's but, okay. Uh, That's okay. And anyone who signs up, you get, um, I think it's 10% off your first order up yeah. to like it's, it's over 45 pounds or something so and then you'll get you know if you sign up you get our newsletter where we send out loads of um great information on things like vitamin d you know so just just on that on a on a on a flip because i know we're, we're fundamentally we're, we're going to wrap up in a minute when we obviously we'll make some sort of you know here's the things that you can start implementing on on the day-to-day basis but you know we're, we're thinking about the winter because also there's been pretty strong evidence that some of the minerals and sort of the friends of vitamin D like zinc are also really quite important for, for immune protection. So vitamin C, zinc, etc. And can you just very briefly just give us a minute or so on that? Because that I think would be helpful because I know a lot of supplement companies are actually sort of doing a sort of a one a day immune as well, which is a bit vitamin D, probably vitamin A and a bit of vitamin C and of course zinc, because I think the evidence is suggesting that may be an additional particularly zinc of 15 micrograms a day are going to be probably again another prudent thing to do through the winter um zinc zinc is absolutely another one of those nutrients that is we don't get it from the sun but we do get a good amount from from certain foods but we just don't eat those foods in high enough quantities and our soils are a bit over depleted so even those foods that used to have high levels are starting to wane a little so like it's almost like the plants that we're eating are also a little bit deficient so zinc yeah again another one that we just have low levels of and if you look at the research again having a lower level of something like zinc is going to increase your duration your severity of certain illnesses it impedes your immune system's ability to actually fight that infection um so so very often we have uh vitamin d in association with zinc vitamin c i find is one of those ones that when you take it especially if you take it at a good quantity whilst you've got an infection it works very well to sort of give your immune system a little injection of fighting spirit so um, so the research on vitamin c does tend to be more about 
in the moment, um, you know, yeah. take, taking it for the duration of of, of a of a cold or an, or an illness. And Although vitamin C is still very important to take daily, well, to, to have enough daily. And again, vitamin C is is needed in much higher amounts than you you would look at from a point of view of zinc. Yes, yeah. So we're normally talking about gram amounts of yeah. vitamin C or to bowel tolerance, which is where people, if, you, if you're not used to taking vitamin C and you take it at high amounts, it can have a very slight laxative effect. So we normally talk about a, a bowel tolerance level for, for, for people taking vitamin C. So if you've got, if you get, if you're taking too much, that's the worst that will happen. So just bring it back a bit. So can we then now um, just maybe just summarise some pertinent points? Imagine, imagine that we're, we're in the consultation room with senior nutritionist Sarah Sharp and <laughs> we're coming in there because we want that advice about vitamin D as we go through the, through the winter. What are going to be your sort of clinical pearls for us to, to take away from, to, from today? What, what would you say to, to us? Uh, well, certainly look at your risk factors. You know, let's look at where your vitamin D comes from normally. Are you getting enough? And the answer is usually no. So let's look at testing. Let's see where your levels are. and Let's make sure you're getting enough. It's going to really make, uh, it's one of the easiest things within our control Absolutely. Yeah. that we can make a difference on. And I think this is why we're having this conversation, aren't we? Because as you say, vaccinated or not, you know, you're going to need additional help. And, and this is such a simple intervention where, you know, there is overwhelming scientific evidence to suggest this is, and the key for me, I mean, vitamin D as a supplement is cheap as chips. So yeah. it's, it's literally pennies a day, if that. To... Yeah, you don't need any special delivery. No. And we've got, we've got different forms. We do tablets, liquids, that kind of thing to, that's personal preference though. It's not it's not because it's better absorbed than any other. It's it's literally just down to personal preference. They all work in the same way. And you would again, you know, this is your bread and butter and has been for, for nearly 30 years now. So but you would agree that looking at the scientific evidence that trying to achieve a sort of a level of 125 would be a good place to be. Yeah, so the, I think the studies show between 75 and 150 is a good level to have, but I would say above 100, between 100 and 150, aim for about 120 yeah. plus is a good level. I think toxicity happens at about 375. So if you're up at that level, you must be like really taking an extreme amount. But yeah, um, yeah don't panic if you go over 150 I mean, by a bit. Incredibly rare, isn't it? I mean, yeah. You know, and, it, it, and of course, that toxicity is dependent on whether you're seeing changes in blood levels of calcium and, and that side. And I can actually remember seeing a, a CrossFitter who was up at 390 and he'd been completely overdosing on vitamin D. But again, we weren't seeing any rises in, in blood levels of calcium, although, you know, we immediately said no more vitamin D and let's just see those levels drop over, over time. Yeah. So, Sarah, look, I, I really appreciate your time this morning. I really appreciate Nutri Advance coming on and, and giving you your time. I'm going to interview your boss uh, at some <laughs> stage in the future because me and Ken go back a very long way and I just want to get his sort of journey really about, you know, why Nutri was started, where, where everything is going and where he thinks the future is going. Uh, thanks so much for giving us additional discount, which we'll, we'll link in and, and, and if you can thank Sam for organising all of that. So, well, thanks for inviting me, Pete. It's been, been great chatting.
So thanks for your time, kid, and, and no doubt I will see you soon. Cheers, Sarah. Thanks very much.